And I just keep taking the feedback in that very open way. They've got a seed, they got a seed that modeled for them what it looks like to take good feedback. And I have never, ever, ever gone back and punished somebody after the fact for giving me feedback that I didn't want to hear. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today in studio, I've got joining me Peter Montoya. Now, Peter is a very gifted speaker. He is a best-selling author. He's a successful entrepreneur. And rarely do you find all three qualities like that in one person. Peter's a thought leader. He's a skilled orator and a leadership strategist with real-life experience driving his insights and ideas. His business acumen, inspirational journey, and human human behavior insight and decades of real life experience have helped him become one of the most inspirational and sought after speakers, coaches and leaders in development for creating high performing teams. When he isn't transforming organizations around the globe, Peter lives with his wife and his two teenagers in Orange County, California. He is a best selling author. His first book was called The Brand Called You and his latest book is called Leadership Power. He is also uh, just starting a podcast that should be out shortly. So I'd like to welcome Peter Montoya to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Well, hey, Peter, super excited to have you on the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Doug. I'm thrilled to be here. So do you want to give our audience just a, a high level uh, overview of your kind of expertise and uh, how you help your clients? Sure, you bet. So my previous career was in uh, that of personal branding. I wrote a book called The Brand Called You, and I spent the better part of 30 years working with uh, independent financial advisors, uh, helping them with their marketing and branding. Uh, so all that knowledge is still stored in my head. But as I've, I've evolved, I really have become an expert in that of leadership and high performance teams. Uh, my job is to help leaders become much more effective. And oftentimes I serve as a leader confidant. Uh, oftentimes what leaders need is someone to cry to over the phone at nine o'clock at night when they're forced with really <laughs> big decisions. Uh, and then also helping people inside companies, you know, work better together and get more done. Uh, and that really comes to the process of, of empowerment. Well, as I mentioned before we started recording, one of the things that really caught my eye when I was looking through kind of your skill sets and your, I would assume those are your kind of four power talks or presentations you get was the feedback agreement. And as a creative agency, you know, often we find it difficult uh, working with, with clients because everybody's got an opinion. So can you mm -hmm. walk us through a bit of the, you know, you know, low hanging fruit, how you help your leaders to to make sure that they're getting the appropriate feedback and dealing with that and being able to use that to empower their people and to still be able to execute. You bet. So a quick story. Uh, I'm on my second marriage. I've been married to my wife, Amy, been with my wife, Amy, now for, for nine years. And maybe about a year ago, uh, she came to me and she asked me the most horrible question that any wife can ask of a husband. She said, uh, Peter, I need you to do me a favor. And I said, of course, wife, you know, whatever you might need. He said, Peter, if I ever get too big, too heavy, I need you to tell me. 
And <laughs> I immediately said, that's almost as, that's, that's as bad as, does this dress look good on me? Exactly. I yeah. said, there is no way. And she said, look at you, you. Here's what my body looks like when it's too big, when it's too heavy. Here's what I weigh. Here's my criteria. And I said, okay, you know, baby, I'm not doing this. I don't care what the criteria is. I'm not telling you this. She said, Peter, you've absolutely got to tell me. I will never get mad at you, but you've absolutely got to do it. I said, uh, okay, wife, I, I'll tell you. Um, it's now. <laughs> and uh, by her criteria she had gotten a little too heavy and she kind of we she, we we both know that human beings are self-delusional creatures we have ways of kind of masking ourselves to how we you know appear or how we interact with other people and we kind of had a good laugh over that and we realized you know both of us had feedback for our spouse that we we're both holding off from giving each other um and we said you know this is this is ridiculous we both know each other love each other more than any other human beings on the planet so why are we not sharing feedback with each other it could actually help us grow so that's how we kind of came up with this informal feedback agreement that i later took into companies uh and the feedback agreement is you more or less want to give feedback that is kind honest and helpful there you go um so First of all, you know, feedback is always given for the benefit of the recipient. The recipient gets to choose when feedback is given. So it's not like you can just say, you know, <laughs> my wife was one time in the middle of parenting one of her children. I thought she was being too aggressive. That was not the time to give her that feedback. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've got three kids. We're into the grandkids now. And and uh, so, yeah, my, my, my son doesn't want to get feedback from me parenting while he's in the middle of uh, giving his one of his uh, kids a timeout. Exactly. So, you know, later on, I said, hey, do you mind if I give you some feedback? She said, let me, here's what I want you to do it. Usually it's almost always when we're laying in bed, uh, snuggling at night is when she likes to receive feedback. Uh, and then I was able to give her the feedback. So the, the person receiving feedback gets to choose the time. Almost always is confidential and almost always is done in private. You don't want to be doing that out in public where everyone else can see it because that's really hard for people to receive. And when you give the feedback, the whole idea is it's kind. Number one, you're not doing it to hurt somebody else. You're doing it to help them. So you use soft language. Uh, is honest, which means you're not uh, you practicing ruthless honesty by being brutal with your language, but you're being rigorous and you're sharing all the details that need to be shared and you're being helpful. And helpful means you be specific. You know, when you were with your kids, here's what I heard. Here's what you, uh, here's how I, I experienced it. And you try to be as specific as possible. So that's how you give good feedback. So how do you get to that place with, you know, if you're a leader in the organization, you've got a team, you've got staff, you've got consultants and suppliers, how do you get to that point where you can have that conversation? couple of different ways to implement it. How I've done it in, in my companies is we've built it both. Uh, what I really believe that all leadership develop. So first of all, um, Leadership has fundamentally changed. So 40 years ago, leadership was about command control. Uh, I'm the leader of the organization. I do all the thinking. I tell people what to do. People do what I, what I order them to do. That was the old model of leadership. Well, has that uh, changed? <laughs> a bit. <laughs> uh, and today, in, in my view, all leadership is leadership development, um, which means that my sole job is to be coaching, training, mentoring people in my organizations, be leader of the self, leaders of friends and family, and leaders of my organization. So it's all about leadership development, and very little is about strategy and vision, which is what most 
leadership books are about, about how to be a strategist and vision. That's actually a minority of it now. Now it's about collaboration, getting ideas from the bottom. How, how do you push decisions closer down to the people who are actually implementing them? It's, it's a, all leadership is about leadership development. And leadership development uh, starts before the interview, most likely in the employee manual. So in our employee manual, we have several of our values that are actually put into it. And the feedback agreement is built into our employee manual. It's built into the interview process. So when we're interviewing people, we ask them how they feel about feedback. When was the last time they gave feedback? How do they respond to it? And sharing that we are a feedback organization and you're going to be getting feedback almost daily on a regular basis. Does that offend you? So that's built into the interview. Uh, and then we make sure that managers Managers are giving feedback to all their employees. You know, the first week. Uh, Doug, did you ever play a sport when you had a when you had a coach who was ruthless about giving you feedback? Uh, yep. Which was it? Hockey, football? No, I wrestled. Wrestled, right? Yeah. So uh, you know, on day number one, you probably walked in there, and after about five minutes, that coach was giving you some very vociferous feedback, maybe even yelling at you, and you got used to that culture very, very quickly. So if you go into a work environment and you get feedback for two weeks, it comes out of left field. It's got to happen right away when you go to work. And feedback doesn't necessarily mean constructive; it just means feedback. Hey, what you did over there was really good, and you start conditioning them to it for that for that environment. So feedback happens even before. Uh, the first interview. So how do you, you know, where do you start when you come into a company? So, you know, you, you come into a company, companies, you know, existing, they've got staff, they've got a certain culture that's going, they, they may still be running the company from the top down. I'm the boss. I make all the decisions. I do all the vision, the creation. <laughs> Where's your starting point? Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, if ever a psychologist wants to change the behavior of a child, they start by coaching the parent. So, you know, all of my work starts with coaching the leaders first and getting buy-in to the feedback agreement. We have a couple different versions of the feedback agreement, and one's an enterprise version where basically any employee can give feedback to any other employee independent of title and status. Uh, and that's the one I recommend. I want feedback in my organization from everybody in, in my team, uh, no matter who they are. And that's really, really unusual. And you have to create an incredibly safe environment for your lowest ranking employee to give your most senior employees honest feedback because they're afraid you might fire them. And you've got to create a culture where they know that's not true. So that's one type of a feedback agreement. Another one is peer-to-peer. -peer. So you know anybody in the organization can find someone else who in the organization who's lateral to them and tell them, hey, listen, I want you to be my truth teller. Tell me the truth when I'm messing up or I can do something better. I want you to tell me. And the other one is the manager to employee, which is kind of a, a you know one directional, which is the managers give feedback to employees, which they should be doing anyway. But most employees are, we've become kind of a siloed in a way from giving feedback in organizations. So my hope is that business leaders choose the enterprise level feedback agreement and do it do it completely throughout the organization, build it into the employee manual, build it in the interviews and start taking it culture wide. Yeah. In the space that I work in, I mean, there's definitely silos because we've got, you know, usually the three big ones or the four big ones are you got the CEO, we've got the finance department, which we need to get budget approved from. And then I work in the sales and marketing department and sales and marketing throw rocks at each other all the time. So the feedback isn't generally uh, kind. It's like, hey, your leads suck. And and then the marketing is, hey, you guys can't close sales is the, the general <laughs> right. conversation. So that's that, that doesn't fit into your criteria of kind, honest and helpful. <laughs> no. So people definitely need some training <laughs> on that one. And the 
other, I'm going to take one, take a quick aside here. The other master value that I put into my organization and we also provide to companies is that of uh, the meritocracy. So let's just say for argument's sake, there's two ways to make decisions. Uh, one way is a meritocracy where either the best idea and or the best person advances, and which is what you want to do as a business. You want to make sure the best ideas actually win and actually get implemented by the organization. Yeah. The other way is political. So that that's a very simple, simplistic view. Political <laughs> decisions are where some faction of people uh, make a decision based on optics or what's best for them or their own advancement, and it isn't necessarily the best for the organization. So there is no avoiding all political decisions. There is minimizing political decisions. And so uh, an organization also has got to commit to being a meritocracy where the best ideas win and or the best people advance, independent of age, creed, what, you know, whatever other things there might be. You don't look at that. It's just the best person to get the job done um, advances in an organization. Um, and as soon as you make that, and so does your, as your ideal, make a commitment to it, it makes the feedback agreement easier to implement. So looking at that as, a, as kind of a bar to, to achieve, who makes the decision best idea, best advance? Correct. No, who makes the decision? Well, obviously, it's the company leadership who should be making that decision and putting it into place. Uh, otherwise, you can look at individual teams can be making the decision, but it's always best when everyone in the organization is playing by the same rules. So how much do you think has changed in the world now with the number of remote workers? I said, no, we've got companies in America that have huge outsourcing offices um, all over the world um, in Europe and Asia. And so do you think it's affected this leadership style? Yeah, and that's a, it's such an Interesting question, especially considering the dynamics that are happening right now with the coronavirus. The land beneath our feet is shifting um, as we speak right now with that. So I have a couple different views on uh, teleworking outside and independent of what's happening in the coronavirus. So, you know, people are more productive by and large um, in their home environments. Uh, and also they're less collaborative and less creative outside of the office. That's pretty clear on what the research says there. Uh, and then the other major problem when people are spending large amounts of their time at home and not with other people is we are also not meeting um, our social needs. Human beings need between three to four hours a day of good social contact. Uh, good social contact rarely happens over the phone, however it can. This was when you're really connected with somebody and you're empathetic. So it's kind of a subjective measure, a little bit spongy. And you can get it through conference calls, but not usually. If you're in problem solving mode, that's not what you need. You need three to four hours of good social connectivity. And when you don't get that, what happens is your anxiety goes up, your self-confidence and self-esteem goes down, your propensity to be authentic, which is unique onto yourself, starts to drop away, and you start adopting behavior styles to fit in. Uh, and this has long-term implications, not only on the individual, but also on the organization. So uh, I'm really trying to thread the needle on that one between having people work from home, which is more cost effective and more productive uh, with maintaining collaboration, culture, creativity, uh, and also developing leaders, which requires face-to-face -face uh, contact. Excuse me. Well, and I've got, I've got remote workers and we're dealing with different cultures and different beliefs. And uh, it's just a whole different dynamic because, you know, it's, you know, people that work inside North America have a general business sense and people who are in, you know, in India or the Philippines or different countries 
everybody's whole different culture. And to come back to your feedback loop, giving them feedback, at least from my experience, you have to take a different approach Mm -hmm. because they live in a, they're the different culture and you have to understand and respect that or you're not going to, it's not going to go well. It is so amazing. Uh, One of my favorite quotes is the last thing to discover water is a fish and that uh, a fish is always in water. They don't know it. They can't see it because they just that's what they are in. Uh, And the same thing's true about our culture and kind of as Americans, we're so fast talking, straight talking and blunt and much around the world. They don't understand that Uh, much around the world. They are incredibly differential to their leaders, which means whatever the leader says goes. And here in the United States, it is much more of a conversation <laughs> and where we have to honor the thoughts, moods, wishes uh, of our workers in order to really empower them. So you're right. It's different depending where you're talking around the world. So looking kind of at a, at a global view and how the world's changing, uh, business is changing, you know, the change of attitude with the millennials coming in. What are you most excited about and where do you see the, the, this, you know, this unraveling for, for your business? Like, where do you think the big opportunity is? That's a great question. You know, my perspectives on marketing have radically changed um, and I'm really understanding the power of social media and Google search specifically. You know, 20 years ago uh, when I was in personal branding, what you kind of did, you kind of worked like an artist. More or less, you kind of looked at the marketplace. You had this kind of intuitive sense of what they might want. You went back to your workshop or your artistry shop, your salon, and you kind of crafted this brand based on what you thought the marketplace might want. You take the brand out there to the marketplace and you'd wait, you know, three to six months to see how the marketplace reacted. And you would go back and kind of crawl a craft and sculpt your artistry a little bit more. Uh, And today it's much more driven by data, which means we're constantly looking what the marketplace is actually searching for on a day by day, hour by hour um, basis, and then try to build our messaging and our brand to be what, people are looking for. And that has been the a seismic shift that's happened for me um, over the last 20 years as a marketer. Well, and, and now you bring in, you know, AI as it's been rolling out mm-hmm. and now they're creating, you know, we're creating advertising and images based on AI and people's, you know, real time conversations online. So it starts to take some of that, that creative thing that where you and I would sit in a boardroom and, and, and craft a brand. Now it puts it in the hands of a computer. It's like you said, it's getting real time uh, feedback from the marketplace and it's doing that without necessarily uh, human input. Yeah. So the big question for us as marketers is how do we move faster? How do we shift faster? I mean, if I, I've been an entrepreneur now for the better part of 30 years and uh, I was always pivoting constantly, uh, adjusting my business to the winds of the marketplace, but that might happen once a month or once every three months. uh, And now it's happening even faster than that. So how do we psychologically adjust to making pivots uh, even on, on a day, week, month basis? Well, and with the companies that you've worked with, uh, especially in the financial space, where do you think the low-hanging fruit is for most of these guys? And, and I'm not asking you to name names, but I'm thinking that when you go into a company, there's probably two or three big ahas that that you, right away you walk in and you just you just know. When I go into a company, I look at what they're doing marketing-wise, I can normally see really quickly what the potential issues are to resolve. So what are the issues that you normally discover as you go in and have your first uh, meeting with these guys? 
So in the financial services business, which is a little bit different from other businesses out there, a lot of them were really hanging their hat. Um, I, w- I worked a lot with uh, financial advisors. And what financial advisors wanted to do is they wanted to project uh, tre- tr- trustworthiness and credibility. So a lot of them would create corporate brands. So they may have been a one-man office or a two-man office or a one financial advisor and assistant of some sort. And they would try to create these big company names as a way of projecting size and credibility. And it never, ever worked. Uh, what's really interesting is by and large, we look at the most credible names in financial services. They're almost always personal names. Uh, so and the luxury space is dominated. When you're looking at high quality luxury brands is dominated uh, by personal brands, which means the company names are based on people's last names or first and last names like you know Charles Schwab or Merrill Lynch or two last names that's dominated by that space. And financial advisors who are in the business of personal relationships, um, when their personality is everything, it's always moving them away from the corporate brand and toward a personal brand. That's because that's who was the relationship was with, was with that financial advisor. Now, that lesson is not true for all financial services companies, but it's true for most uh, individual financial advisors. It was called, the book was called, The Brand Called You. So that was for for a reason. It was because the relationship was between the advisor uh, and the client. Yeah, I've seen that as well, um, where you look up the the address and the address, like you said, is a small office. But the idea is if you can create a big a big image so you can look like, you know, I'm looking at your website, Fidelity, which is a company I've worked with and and rented their data before. You want to look like that, but really you're not. I mean, you're you're one you're one person with an assistant. And um, that doesn't hold true today because he said social media, the Internet, do a quick Google search. I can take a look at your your office from wherever you are in the world with a street view can quickly size up the company. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right now, outside the finance. Just go ahead. Oh, so yeah, yeah, the only way to demonstrate quality is to have quality. So that means if you want to demonstrate that you are a sufficient company who de- has quality, you have to have quality stuff. You got to have a quality office space. You got to have a quality reception. You have to have quality uh, branding materials and business cards and websites. You got to have things that are well thought out. You got to have got to demonstrate quality if you want people to think that you're credible. Yeah, I mean, looking at your website, I mean, your website, uh, I didn't know you had a branding background. Um, that, that explains why your website looks really good. Thank you. You've done, a, you've done a great job. It's easy to easy to navigate. It it, it just screams, you know, high level professional. Um, so yeah, it was really well done. So outside the financial services, the who are most of the types of clients that you work with? Is there an industry that you specialize in? Uh, no, I've been fortunate enough to be able to speak with lots of different people from engineering, professionals, a lot of, a lot of professional services, biotech, uh, technology. All of those have had a great hand in, and I even had a chance to work with Disney for a while here too. That's really cool. So, is there is, is there a, a win that you can share with us? Um, name the client, not name the client of somebody that you came in and 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 after um, they invested some time with you at senior management level, you managed to have a significant impact on their on their company. I did. So the two things that really kind of the the one, two punch, number one was the feedback agreement. And that is revolutionary for organizations. And the reason being, in my opinion, is that feedback is the oxygen of growth. So as an individual, we've always got to be growing. uh, And feedback is probably one of the best ways to do that on top of, you know, either coaching or self-reflection. But feedback, you know, they can hire expensive coaches like me to give them feedback, but all they have to do is really empower their peers and employees to give them feedback and they can save themselves $500 an hour and hiring me to give them feedback. Um, so but I'm sure you, I'm sure you've got a framework. I mean, it's, it's easy to say, Hey, give me feedback, but without a framework and spending some time setting up a system for feedback uh, is, is likely to not, uh, is not going to end well. 
That very true. Like, like if, I, right. if I went to our team that I'm, you know, the client I'm working with said, Hey, give me feedback. I'd get, you know, 50 emails of how I should change a few words in the ad and it's the wrong color and they don't like the picture, mm-hmm. which isn't going to be helpful to me at all. So the feedback we're talking about here specifically uh, is really around us. Yeah. So leadership is a very highly personal endeavor. It isn't like, you know, where you're swinging a hammer in a construction site or ringing up people in a retail store. It is personal about how you showed up. Hey, when you said this, this is how you came across. Hey, your energy in the room was kind of angry and intimidating and diminutive and I felt threatened or whatever it might be. You might be thinking, well, I was just trying to be direct. I didn't know I came across that way. But people are very, very sensitive to that. So the feedback we're really talking about here is personal feedback, which we as leaders desperately need. Uh, to evolve and grow so we're much more effective. So for our listeners that are listening, go, hey, that sounds great, but so, you know, how do you, how do you take that and implement that? You're working in an organization, you're at a C-level, your CEO is, is doing what your CEO does and you think, hey, he needs some feedback. So, <laughs> <Right>. so how, <laughs> how do you take that first step to, to have that conversation and, and, and begin um, that conversation? So much to my surprise, feedback, uh, sorry, CEOs absolutely love the feedback agreement and really do want it. Most good CEOs realize that they uh, need feedback in order to grow. The ones that I always worry about are the ones who like to chew somebody out or kind of have this command and control, uh, you know, kind of iron fist approach to leadership. Those are the ones I worry about. I've only come across one of those. He, I did not last long with him. He did not like my advice. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, other leaders I talk to are constantly into development and growth. They're listening to podcasts, reading books, getting coaching. Uh, They really are already kind of of that mindset. And the whole idea of unleashing the organization's creative juices and feedback powers is really attractive to them. So we start at the top, get leadership buy-in. We get it into the employee manuals. We come out and do a training, uh, more or less, where the CEO introduces me and says, we're doing the feedback agreement. We're implementing this. I train on the feedback agreement, both how to give it kind, honest, uh, kind, honest, helpful feedback. Uh, And then also more importantly, how to receive the feedback. We talk about that as well, where you're kind of open-minded, you're non-art, you're very, very humble. Uh, Humble means you're able to look at yourself objectively and you're able to admit you're wrong if you've made a mistake. And as well as you don't see as you see it as a gift, you see feedback as a gift. And that's kind of the mindset we give people. And then we actually have them give feedback right there in the room with somebody else they work with through an exercise of my experience of working with you is, and they give two or three minutes of feedback right there in the room, uh, then it's required of them to give feedback to at least once a person every single business day for the next month. Doesn't have to be constructive, and that's the word we use, constructive, not critical, but they've got to give feedback where they say, hey, do you mind if I give you some feedback? They quarantine themselves in an office somewhere or on a private phone call, and they give them give, uh, and then they give feedback. They've got to get themselves in the practice of it, and that's kind of the quick start process we take with companies. And how do you find that the um, the subordinates feel when uh, the leader comes in and says, this is what we're going to do? I'm I'm sure there's kind of thinking, okay, it sounds good. But like you said, will I get fired? Will I not get the next promotion if I give um, good, honest feedback, even if I give it to them kind? 
Yeah. So leaders have really got to demonstrate this. So one of the things that I do very regularly is whenever I make a mistake in organizations, I tell people I made a mistake. I go ahead and pull my, I will have either conference calls and or meetings, bring my mistake in full view, tell people what my thought process was, where I made a mistake um, and how I screwed up. And I use very forceful language like that. And I let People comment. And whenever people give me feedback in those meetings, I never, ever punish the feedback giver. Uh, punishment means, you know, cross tones, bad looks, disagreement. I just go, great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I just keep taking the feedback in that very open way. They've got to see, they got to see it modeled for them what it looks like to take good feedback. And I have never, ever, ever gone back and punished somebody after the fact for giving me feedback that I didn't want to hear. Well, I mean, that's that's great from you, from your side as a leader and, and building your company that way. I mean, that I think there's there's lots of lessons right away. As soon as you said that I take responsibility and, and I bring my my mistakes out front, my, my immediate thought went to politics, but we won't have that conversation <laughs> right. um, of, of, hey, if you just admitted I made a mistake, people would forgive you a lot easier than trying to deny it and, and hide it. But that's a, a discussion for another day. So what's the um, what's the bad advice that you hear in the leadership space? I mean, there's, you know, um, a million people out there that talk about all sorts of stuff, whether it's branding or leadership. What's the really bad advice that uh, that you hear? So first of all, most um, leadership authors kind of portray leaders as being extroverts, these kind of people who stand up on a podium and they're giving these mass speeches and they're very jovial and social and they kind of move people through this very extroverted way. And that is categorically wrong, <laughs> just categorically wrong. Leadership comes in all shapes and styles. Introverts are some of the most powerful leaders on the country. So leadership is about... My the, well, I think the best type of leadership is what we'll call transformative leadership. And a transformative leader changes the fundamental understanding of what something is. That's what a transformative leader is. They fundamentally change the understanding of what something is. So our founding fathers here in the United States of America, uh, up until 1776, the only type of government in the world, I think at the time, if I remember correctly, were, were monarchies. It was almost all the, the hundred and something countries were monarchies, not a single democracy of the people. And our founding fathers, many of them who were introverts, many of them who were very thoughtful, excellent writers, incredible thinkers, maybe and has some good or not oratory skills decided to say, we're going to make a change what people understand to be a country, and they invented the first democracy back in 1776. Now, that fundamental change not only caused a ripple effect, and now that we have majority of the world's countries are now democracy, the United States of America is one of the most powerful countries in the world as a democracy, uh, but it also unleashed the thinking and creativity of hundreds of millions of people in this country to go out and create something different. So that's what a transformative leader does. One could argue that Stephen Hawking was a transformative leader. One can argue that Albert Einstein, Einstein was a transformative leader, and these people were not necessarily necessarily the just go charge the hill, stand on top and, you know, make these big giant shows. Um, they don't necessarily always have great personality skills. They're not always necessarily benevolent. Steve Jobs didn't want to change the world, but he was very mercurial in how he wanted to do it and not always a nice guy. He was charismatic uh, to other people, but he could be incredibly harsh and, and brooding uh, inside the company. So it's kind of, you know, this picture that, you know, all leaders are extroverts. 
and they all give rousing speeches and they're all great strategy and vision isn't really true. I really sincerely believe that everyone is a leader and everyone cultivates their own leadership style. Well, it's interesting because when you were talking about different styles, I was thinking of uh, when I read Elon Musk's book and thinking as much as I admire his vision and the major changes he's made to kind of put the U.S. on the map big time with their own space program and stop outsourcing. I read how awful it would be to work for a guy like that with his expectations <laughs> of like, why aren't you in the office 20 hours out of the 24 hours? So maybe, maybe a great leader. I don't, I don't know. Doesn't sound like he'd be a fun guy to work for, but definitely someone who is, I don't know. I call it transformational because of the, he's changed the thinking yeah. with our, our financial space. I mean, now we're doing everything okay. digitally and yeah. It's uh, it's really cool. I, I would I would completely and totally agree with that, all of that assessment. Uh, he might be a little stronger on the command and control side of leadership, <laughs> and you can do that when you are really really brilliant. So when you're Elon Musk, Steve Jobs. Bill Gates level brilliant, you can be a little more command and control and do a little more thinking for your people. Uh, but when you're like the rest of us mortals, you really got to empower good thinking uh, from your base. So looking at where things are things are going, where do you see yourself developing your business as, as you know, the world changes? You're obviously, you're online, you've got a blog, you're starting a podcast. So congratulations and welcome to the uh, podcasting world. Oh, I love podcasts. You've you've written a couple books. So where do you think uh, you know you're a marketing marketing guy? Where do you think it's going to go from here? Well, so where do you think? I, where, where am I going to go, or where do yeah, I? Yeah, where think you, that? yeah, where, where are you going to go from here? I mean, you've got it. You know, you've got all the traditional stuff. So you got the print, the the, and you're, now you're moving digital to podcast. Uh, you know, you're still going out and you're speaking to audiences. So I think the, the next major wave is in uh, live streaming. So that's where I th think I'll be headed to very, very shortly here. So not only can people listen to the audio or watch the video on YouTube later, but actually doing live streaming, that's where um, I'm headed next and where I think the marketplace is the next evolution will probably go. Yeah, there's definitely a huge move there. I've seen it on both on Facebook and LinkedIn and people doing private private live streams. I mean, we're actually working on it with a client that's doing a live stream for their business so they can show their investors what's happening. So, you know, they can log on seven days a week, 24 hours a day and see what's happening. So we're definitely seeing a huge move to uh, move to video. And we're seeing great numbers in that coming in from the platforms. The platforms are just desperate for video. So from an advertising point of view, I'm not sure how closely you follow that these days, um, we're getting rewarded for video and, and getting punished for static ads. Yep. That's the direction we're headed. And my guess is, and this is a, only a guess, uh, that the coronavirus is probably going to accelerate that uh, most likely here in the next in this coming six months to a year. So it's probably just going to exasperate that, that trend. Well, what a couple couple of guys uh, that I talked to in my mastermind were talking about this week with the coronavirus. And they said, you know, what what, what is the world going to look like after this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like how much of a change um, is this going to have uh, in across the entire world and the way that we do business mm -hmm. in the future? Is it going to is it going to be the thing that moved e-commerce to the next level because people don't want to go out and shop? And so we mm -hmm. just kind of kicked around all this stuff. And, you know, obviously uh, we don't have the answers, but uh, time will tell. But it's mm -hmm. going to be different. I, I think so, too. I, I think that it is going to kind of kickstart um, people work, teleworking a lot more, reducing business travel. Uh, I think, you know, big winners online are, you know, Amazon, all the food delivery services, um, and of course, all of your teleworking type things, uh, whether it be Zoom and or uh, your, what are those ones called, Teams on Microsoft. So all of those collaborative working, I would imagine those are going to be the, the big winners uh, that we'll see after this. 
Yeah. I mean, we use teams now for one client. We, I have zoom calls every day. I try on my gym days. Sometimes I don't turn the video on cause I've just come in from the gym and it's not a pretty video view. Um, but, <laughs> well, really cool. I just want to say, um, I really appreciate you taking time and sharing with us today. Oh, it was so much fun, Doug. I love this conversation. And I got a couple of questions for you. One is who's one guest you think I absolutely have to have on my podcast? Well, if you could get Sam Harris, that'd be the one guy who I would get. He's one of my favorite podcasters and he's, he certainly is a thought leader. And if you're able to make an introduction, that'd be great. That always makes uh, makes this the conversation start easier. I'd love to. If and, I then, <laughs> and then where can people find you? I mean, um, I found you online because, um, you know, you're a pretty easy guy to find. You've got uh, a, a unique uh, last name. There's not uh, five million Peter Montoya's online. But uh, where do you want people to track you down, take a look at what you're doing and connect with you? Yeah, the easiest place to find me is on the World Wide Web at PeterMontoya.com, PeterMontoya.com, just like it sounds. Uh, and then also I have a good YouTube presence and launching uh, new videos weekly. So go to YouTube uh, slash Peter Montoya and you'll find me there too. And then when should people expect to be able to tune in and listen to your uh, your podcast? Uh, May. Uh, we'll be launching at least a podcast a week starting in May. And it'll be the Peter Montoya Leadership Experience, which is also available through my website. Really cool. Hey, thanks again, Peter. Really appreciate you taking time with us today. Oh, Doug, it was a thrill. Thanks for having me. Hey, listeners, there you go. There's another episode. Now, this is a little bit different approach. I just really love what Peter's doing. I'm so excited about the feedback loop. But when I looked at all the things that he was doing and how that applies to my business, my clients, I hope you've taken some uh, taken some notes and there's some takeaways for you for sure. Uh, we'll make sure we transcribe the notes. We'll have links to uh, both of Peter's books on the website. And then when he releases his podcast, I'm sure he'll send us a note and I'll share that out with you as well. So I just want to say thanks for tuning in. Uh, we look forward to serving you on our next episode. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting dougmorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's dougmorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.